Radio One, its sponsors or advertisers. here to support this bill. Where y'all at? Okay. And I also would like to give thanks to all these petitioners, because we actually consulted the people in the neighborhood. We got there, you know, we wanted to know how they felt about what was going on in their communities. Unlike a lot of these agencies, we actually consulted the people in the communities. Okay. And we got almost a thousand names uh, on these uh, petition forms. Some of them are still out. So, and what the petition says is, to, uh, to Mayor Pugh, the Baltimore City Council, Governor Hogan, the Maryland State Legislature, and the U.S. Congress. Yes, I agree that we should, one, end the displacement of people from their neighborhoods and end the destruction of their communities just to give land and taxpayer subsidies to developers and investors. Two, introduce the, the 1% interest renovation slash rebuilding loan dollar house, dollar lot program, because the house will be built from the ground up for the individual citizen as a fairest way to ensure funds earmarked for the community are used to help the people who actually live there with training, jobs, and home ownership. Number three, end the destruction of the remaining affordable housing stock in Baltimore, a city with a documented lack of affordable housing. I've seen people walking around the streets scared to death. But you know what? If they live in a decent house, that they will eventually have a deed to, they straighten up their back. They have a little bit of pride. If you see those brothers slinging on the corner, if they had a trade, they could know how to go and make a decent living and don't have to run from the police. We have a murder rate of almost 300 Young people in this city. Suppose somebody gave a tenth of them a job where they could take a paycheck to the bank and cash it for real dollars. And suppose me, a 68-year lady, doesn't have to worry, I got to get out of here before it gets too dark. Do you hear me? Do you understand what I'm saying? What I'm saying is real simple. Help the brother that's trying to help the rest of us. We got his back. And if you play your cards right, we'll have your back. We've got to be the, the, the lightning rod in this nation because every urban city in this country, through conspiracies, find themselves with thousands of abandoned houses don't tell me that's not by design we've got to break out of that genocidal approach to people who want to live and have a right to, to life liberty and the pursuit of happiness let there be no doubt justice delayed is justice denied hello Baltimore and welcome to the special edition of the Call Tyrone Show. And welcome back. I'm your humble host, Tyrone Boast. Apologize. Hello, Baltimore. Welcome to the special edition of the Call Tyrone Show. And I'm your humble host, Tyrone Boast. And welcome to the show. Last week, uh, we were, um, well, last week I went to Disney World. Took a bunch of kids there. And uh, they had a blast, by the way. And a lot of my young relatives and, and you know, a lot of them, they're going to be talking that, about that for a long time. Some of them the rest of their lives. And I was glad, you know, to have the ability to take them to Disney World. And we should we should uh, look out uh, for our young relatives, you know, the ones who aren't as fortunate as us, you know, and our, and our individual families. So that is an assistant of my family, the, the ones that I took. And, um, you know, and I took a couple of my um, my, my kids as well. Well, they're adults now, but... I really, I thoroughly enjoyed myself, and they enjoyed themselves too. And I, th- and I enjoyed myself through those through those children. Uh, 
Okay, so last week uh, we we spoke about uh, some issues with um, how we got all this blight and and how the blacks were targeted in Baltimore City for subprime mortgages. In other words, they were given mortgages uh, um, that were subprime, more expensive than uh, mortgages that they actually qualify for, because there's no no um, nothing in law that stated that they um, be told that they qualified for a better mortgage. So since it made more sense to the mortgage lenders that were preying on these people to, to sell them a high-priced mortgage because they made more money, they would do it. <laughs> and, and, and the Latinos suffered as well, but blacks, nobody suffered more than the blacks, and it, and it happened all over the country. And, and the data's coming out on that. The studies have been done. And, uh, you know, it, it's in stark contrast to the Republican narrative of, you know, you know, uh, personal responsibility and, and black people ain't paying the bills on time or, you know, this type of nonsense. When we know that those neighborhoods were occupied for years uh, by people for generations and by homeowners. And all of a sudden we get all this blight in all these different communities. Um, uh, some of these some of these people got um, um, subprime arm, these arm loans, these interest only loans where you're paying three hundred dollars a month for your mortgage. And then the next thing you know, three years later, you're paying three thousand dollars a month. And so you know you got to move now. You didn't know that three years ago, but you know you got to move. And so that in conjunction in Baltimore, you had things called ground rent. People could come in and claim, uh, look, you owe me $3,000 of ground rent. You got, you know, whatever, 30 days to pay it, or you're out of here. So you know you're out of here if you had that $3,000. You know, you would have ground rent on properties, and you don't even know you owe it. You don't even know who the person is that, that owes, owes the ground rent. So we had that issue going on. We had the water bills going on. We had people be getting put out of their homes for water bills. So what would happen is we would acquire whole blocks of vacant housing and tear them down in a city with a documented lack of affordable housing. They say that for every, I think the Urban Institute said, for every 100 families, working families looking for housing, there's only 42 units. So we're tearing down houses, and uh, we've uh, suggested a program to the city, signed for by 1,000 people on a petition in these impacted areas, that they want to restore some of this housing uh, for home ownership and uh, generational wealth, and at the same time, train young men in the trades. So um, it's, it's amazing how when you give money to billionaires like Kevin, the Kevin Planks of the world, they don't even have to beg for it. You throw it at their feet. But you have a thousand working class people asking you to give them a loan. The same thing you did for him, asking you to give them a loan. And you, I mean, you got to think about that. I mean, come on. You, so you're saying that, and this is where I have a problem with unfettered capitalism, because I, I'm not against capitalism per se, because I own a business, but unfettered capitalism where the ruling, the ruling class has to be the rich elite it's not really true democracy because what you guys are a bunch of plutocrats running the country, and that's what it's turned out to to be. And uh, so you know, and 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 that's this is one of the reasons why Donald Trump was elected president, by the way. And we'll explain that later how this all ties in this unfettered cap- capitalism, because now you have where before uh, in the past since 1973. Um, the the wages for working class people went up four percent. Working class and middle class people went up four percent. For the CEOs, um, the the uh, their wages have went up four hundred percent. So you see the difference. Um, and and for the top for the Fortune five hundred companies, their wages have went up a nine hundred percent. Okay, but your wages, and my wages, have gone up four percent during the same period. Before then, up until nineteen seventy three, from nineteen forty five to nineteen seventy three. You had, uh, as, as wages went up for the, the CEOs, it went up for the working class people because you had a contract that was broken in 1973. And uh, it's been, it's been, this has been going on for uh, ever since, pretty much ever since, because they've tricked us into believing that greed, you know, greed is good. Okay, you've seen the movie. Uh, greed is good and, and, you know, unfettered capitalism is good for everybody, which it isn't. Trickle down economics work. When the person that designed trickle down economics, says that it doesn't work and it never did work and it never will work so we still believe that it does so and and with these opportunity zones they're saying that basically what they're saying if you look at the, the small print and the opportunity uh, zones you don't have to benefit anybody in that community all you have to do is build something there and you get um what's amounts of corporate welfare just to build something next to somebody that's like you <laughs> that's like me telling you look i want you to buy me a lamborghini or help me pay for the lamborghini you can't drive it. I don't even want you looking at it too hard. Don't touch it. But it's going to make you look good because I live next door to you. Now, anybody with common sense knows <laughs> that that's not going to do you a bit of good for me to be driving around Lamborghini, you know? 
and you don't get to touch it or even look at it, definitely ain't, you ain't going to drive it. So, and that's this is what gentrification looks like, you know, in reality, when you reduce it to its simplest terms. It's, it's just a part and parcel to unfettered uh, and a result of unfettered capitalism. And what they have now is what's called urban walkability, where you live close to your jobs, you live close. That's a new trend now. You live to, close to where you work, to where you go to school, et cetera. You can build bike lanes and you can ride your bike everywhere. You see those bike lanes. You can't ignore them. And you didn't ask for them, but they're there. And all that is to do is to herald in the fact that there's going to be gentrification coming to Baltimore. And um, it doesn't have to happen because, as I said, a billionaire only has uh, one vote. Okay? Baltimore is 62% black. And it's 29% white. And then you have others. So... You know where our power lies. We need to, just need to take up and uh, utilize that power. And as Malcolm said in the ballot, the bullet or the ballot in his famous speech, we got to start voting for people that's going to represent our, our interests. You know, because Malcolm went through a metamorphosis uh, all through his life. He evolved all through his life. That was the greatness of the man. And he figured out that, you know, voting is a part of, of uh, collective action and progress for our people. Okay, so we're going. We had a lot of hoopla about Donald Trump and Baltimore and trash and all this stuff. And what people have missed out of the whole discussion is out of the whole discussion is the tie into what we're what we're wanting to do. Um, it it's actually a result of uh, people. If you listen to the, the comments by Kimberly Clack, she's a black conservative. Um, on the video, if you looked at the actual video, because I did, I got I got to do research. I can't just listen to what people tell me. I'm just that's just the way I am. So I looked I looked at the video. And if you listen, if you just pay attention, shut your mouth and listen, you'll hear somebody in the background saying people are bringing trash from outside the community on a pickup truck and dumping it. So here you got people from outside the community dumping trash in in what (laughs) was supposed to be a green space, (laughs) which could have been a restored house paying taxes to the tax base. And so your taxes won't be so high. You have people dumping trash there instead from outside the community and the people in the community getting the blame for it. Okay, so so let's go ahead and find out some popular uses for green spaces. Uh, um, that, I, I think that's uh, is it not is it nine, Jason? Yeah. Okay. Pay attention. Let's listen closely. Oh, it's still stuff right that's there. That's what I was telling you. Whenever you see a pickup truck with stuff on it, I bet you if you follow it, yep. it's gonna dump stuff in when they see a abandoned spot. So usually this whole thing this is dump is ground. Full. But uh, they obviously just came and got it. This is the back. That's the back of the house my dad's going to Oh, they are still dumping. This is the back of the house. This is where I, I, I used to live right here. And all this. for dumping ground. That's terrible. Now, if you were paying attention, like I said, there's people outside the community dumping that trash. And then the people, they blame the people. That, they, this is how crazy people are. They blame the people in the community for having trash dumped in their community by people outside their community. What sense does that even make? We're falling for it. We just, we're not even, we can't even figure that out. <laughs> you know, you, and, uh, and and by the way, the people in these communities don't own those vacant houses. They don't belong to them. They're just so those people live overseas and everything else. So they're being blamed for that as well. So we tend to, um, we tend to blame the, um, the, the victim in a lot of cases unnecessarily. So let's, let's talk about why people voted for Donald Trump. Mm. And there's a reason for it. Let's talk about why why uh, people vote for Donald Trump. And there's a there's a reason for it. That's a very, you know, uh, I think that's number ten, Jace. White working class brother, we know you have pain. We know it's difficult to gain access to a job with a living wage. We know you have tremendous difficulty getting access to health care and child care. But we're asking you that's to Dr. confront Cornel the West, most powerful, way. not scapegoat the most vulnerable. We're asking you to simply say. There are ways of understanding your pain in such a way that you don't respond in a cowardly manner. I tell this to Brother Rush Limbaugh all the time. Well, not personally, but publicly. I say, Brother Rush, we know who your social base is. These white brothers have been wrestling with economic decline for the last 25 years. Economic dislocation, not even viewed as human beings who are fired. They're disposable commodities who are downsized. But they look to... The weak, the immigrants, the women, the gays, the lesbians, the blacks, the browns, 
I say, oh, just like um, that husband who feels so we'll powerless on the job and goes home to beat his wife. Cowardly, exercising power over the less powerful. Saying what? Saying in part that it's so very difficult to talk about race in America, and especially the question of what it means to be human in wrestling with the forms of varieties of death, not to reinforce the worst. And that's one of the reasons why there has been and will always be a black nationalist tradition in the black community and in America. When Marcus Garvey, who led the largest mass movement among black folk to do what? To leave the country. Most of the world wants to come, get in on the goodies. The rights, the liberties. Marcus Garvey had three million black people. Now, Marcus Garvey's birthday, by the way, speaking of Marcus Garvey, is uh, August the 17th. And uh, we have a gentleman coming on uh, later to discuss uh, the uh, Marcus Garvey celebration that he has every year. His great brother's name is uh, Charles Duggar. I, I, I admire him. He's a strong brother in the community, has been working with the community and the youth in the community for years. And he's going to talk about the, um, the, the Harlem Park um, the gathering and festival that we have with Marcus Garvey. And hopefully we can figure out a way to do a voters drive while we're there. Because as I said before, Baltimore is 62% black. It's 29% white. And then you have others. We ain't got no money, but a billionaire only has one vote. So you see where our power is. And that's what we need to concentrate on. So, but at the same time, we don't want to just vote for people because they're black because that's useless. We have a lot of people that are black that are, that are actually amping up white supremacy in our neighborhoods. And um, I don't, as I said before, I don't hate anybody. I hate white supremacy, you know, and uh, that's my enemy uh, when it comes to, you know, impoverished people in, in our community. It's why, and a lot of it has to do with, and, and, and uh, the unchecked capitalism is asymptomatic, asymptomatic of uh, white supremacy. So if you understand that, that correlation, then you understand why um, this thing needs to be fought and, uh, you know, and then why cor- um, corporate greed is bad, not only for blacks, but for poor whites and middle class whites as well. They just don't realize it uh, because they're so busy concentrating on things like immigrants and, you know, the, the others. And uh, somebody's and the thing about unfettered capitalism is somebody's got to be the N word. Somebody's going to have to be the N word. Now, now that we're no now that we're legally no longer second class citizens legally. They have to find another group of second class citizens. And that would be the immigrant class because they're undocumented. So you can use them and exploit them for cheaper labor, which is what you wanted to do all, all along. Uh, and uh, whites involved in white supremacy and the ruling class, the plutocrats, they need the hatred of the middle class and the um, um, uh, lower class whites to keep this thing in check. And uh, Donald Trump needs those type of people. And that's why. Because he maintains his power base. And that's why he keeps feeding them that red meat rhetoric that we don't understand why, you know, he keeps doing it. That's why. That's why he actually needs those people to stay in power. And uh, if he doesn't forget that, and, I, and I, one thing I do admire about Donald Trump is he looks out for his base. He looks out for the people that put him where, to where he is. And he's going to keep looking out for them. Our problem is the people we put in power don't look out for us a lot of times. They ignore us. And uh, so we are... Our problem now is to get them to start paying attention to us. And and hopefully through the vote, we'll, we'll, we'll start paying more attention to our vote and, and vote more uh, intelligently. And we, what we want to do is we want to put pressure on those who we want to keep and at the same time get rid of those who aren't, who aren't working in our best interest. Um, let's talk about the bigotry of the black middle class. Okay. Uh, that would be number 11. <laughs> So there is some bigotry in our middle class, too. So I'm not going to let them get away, get off the hook either. This so-called good Negro, bad Negro distinction rooted in the politics of, respons- of respo- uh, respectability, personal responsibility, really conceals and masks class bigotry. It's a moral distinction, right? But it's really a class distinction more masquerading as a moral distinction. Because it just so happens that when you do the numbers, just crunch them, the vast majority of middle-class blacks have about the same crime rate as middle-class whites, so the vast majority of black criminals are coming from the ranks of truly disadvantaged blacks, poor blacks. That's where the vast majority are coming from. And so either people are poor because they're bad, 
which doesn't make any sense, or bad because they're poor. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense. You take a group of people, you disproportionately concentrate them in desperate circumstances, and it should sadden but not surprise you if they disproportionately turn to desperate undertakings like crime. Be that as it may, you have people who say it's a moral distinction. Don't look at the class dimensions. How can you not look at the class dimensions? Okay. And that was uh, Jody Armour. And Jody Armour is a professor of law, okay, by the way. he um, He's a father of millennials, and that's why he's very concerned about profiling, racial profiling. Any father of millennials, I was that way when my kids were millennials. I mean, we're, we're younger. Any father would be concerned about this, this thing because you can't um, pay your way out of being black. I mean, you can live in a fancy zip code or whatever, <laughs> but guess what? You can't cash in your face. So when your kids or you get stopped by the police, you got to be concerned about how they're going to be treated. So um, yeah, we, even though we look, we want to look down on, on the people out in, in the hood in these underserved communities, um, they're basically um, the frontline uh, victims, you know, for, for uh, police brutality, which can also come into our community, which we found out from Sandra Bland. You know, uh, if, if, you're, if you're a middle-class person, she did everything right. She did everything right. And she, she still, she was going to school and everything else, and she still ended up a victim of police brutality. You know, so don't think it ain't about you when, when somebody, when the least of us uh, gets, or Freddie Gray or whatever, uh, gets uh, injured due to the process of the front lines of vict- uh, bigotry, what has been the front lines of bigotry or police control of the police state in our communities, which is police force. We need the police. All police aren't bad. I'm not going to say that. But at the same time, we don't need police brutality. <laughs> we really don't. And uh, anybody that believes that, that we do, is an idiot. You know, you have constitutional rights. And uh, those those rights should be respected, no matter who you are. Black, white, yellow, red, whatever. So we got to be careful with our own little bigotry. And that's, that's bigotry of class. When we're, when we're um, saying that, you know, we should get rid of the dissent decree and all this other stuff, which only says they can't beat you upside the head when they arrest you. Um, let's, let's find out if uh, Sandra Bland was a bad Negro or a good Negro. Or does it matter? That would be number 12, Jason. We have an economically gated mentality that we're taking to our own community and we're spatially profiling. That's spatial profiling. These same black Brahmins who rail against racial profiling when it's practiced against them don't have any qualms about practicing spatial profiling against other blacks, poor blacks, disadvantaged blacks. And class bigotry at the heart of it. So let's talk about the new Jim Crow. From this mentality, from this personal responsibility, politics of respectability perspective, there's no such thing. You can't call mass incarceration the new Jim Crow like Michelle Alexander effectively has in her new book. But they would say, no, no, no. The old Jim Crow was about innocent Negroes being oppressed socially, the social oppression of innocent Negroes, Martin, Medgar, Rosa. The victims, they would say, of new Jim Crow, those caught up in mass incarceration, are criminals who've made bad decisions. They're not innocent Negroes, and they've sometimes preyed on the most vulnerable members of their own community. What's this moral equivalence, they would say, between Martin, Medgar, and Rosa on the one hand, and a gangbanger, dope dealer, and prostitute on the other? I don't get it. Big difference between social oppression and self-destruction. Mass incarceration is self-destruction. The old Jim Crow was social oppression. What they don't get is that there can be social oppression (coughs) in self-destruction. That's what they're missing. Take Sandra Bland. Recent case, she did everything right when that officer stopped her by the side of the road. She stood on her constitutional right. She didn't do anything that I wouldn't tell one of my law students to do. For being dignified, for being proud, for standing on her constitutional rights, she was humiliated, spirit murdered, but regardless of whether she took her life by her own hand. Even if we assume for the sake of argument, she took her life by her own hand, that there was self-destruction, in other words, that there was suicide, that self-destruction, that self-destruction was the product of social oppression. It was the product of ugly, vicious police brutality. You can have social oppression in self-destruction. Okay, so you see... How is how dangerous it can be to say that we're all killing each other and and uh, as I cited um, last week, <coughs> I mean the last time I was on the air, 
The majority of people arrested in this country are white people, not prosecuted. I'm not talking about prosecuted. I'm not arrested because they're the majority population people. Okay, so white people commit crimes too, and um, but we're, we're we're prosecuted more and we're profiled more. More white people kill police than black people, but we're the ones that are shot at, at traffic stops, unarmed black people, unarmed black men, and um, so we got to be very careful. Um, and, and I'm not trying to excuse crime. No, no, we should commit no crimes. Okay, murder especially, but. At the same time, we got to be very careful when we say there's something in, intrinsically or innately wrong with us, you know, and because that can be used to justify justification and ultimately genocide. So let's be very careful. You know, they're, you know, that we react typically the way others react when they're placed in the same situation we've been put in. Read about alcohol prohibition and all the murders they have behind illegal alcohol, if you don't believe me. So we do have historical precedents for precedent for the way uh, we behave when, when we're given certain stimuli and put in, in hopeless environments. So <clears throat> let's be a little more analytical about what's caused the problem so we can come up with solutions to these problems. And uh, let's, let's let and the main reason is if they don't look good, we don't look good. And that'd be number 13. Jason. All right. You aren't going to be able to run away from the black tax and racial profiling just because you got a high tax bracket or some kind of fancy zip code, right? As long as they don't look good, you don't look good. As long as they're stuck in criminogenic conditions that lead to higher crime rates, they're gonna provide the statistical support for people to profile you. So the only way you're gonna escape that black tax is by helping to lift truly disadvantaged black out of the poverty that disproportionately causes us to turn them, I was once them, us to turn to crime in the first place. If they don't look good, we don't look good. It has to be one love. And at the end of the day, and I'll end here, the reason we can't afford this kind of dichotomy that these politics of respectability proponents keep suggesting is we all we got. We really, we really are. We all we got. Thank you. Okay, so I'm, I'm going I'm to start taking a couple calls. Then we're going to talk about Mar- Marcus Garvey and the Marcus Garvey Festival, etc. But that, that brother that just spoke, he's a law professor. His father was arrested for marijuana possession and distribution. And uh, he was given 22 years to 50 years for, for that. Okay? And in light of the legalization of marijuana, <laughs> you can see how extreme that is. You know, of, of the discriminalization. Marijuana's been decriminalized. In case you haven't noticed, living in a cave the past few years. Marijuana has been discriminalized in a lot of places now. And it's actually being openly sold in places like Colorado and Washington State. So you get a brother that's put in jail for 20 to 50 years for uh, distribution of marijuana. What that brother did was he studied the law himself and was able to mount an effective defense to get his butt out of jail. You know, that's how powerful, when you understand the Constitution, you understand the law, that's how powerful and liberating that can be, the, the correct application and understanding of the Constitution. So let's not, let's not sleep on that, on that document, you know, so... Uh, also, that what the, the the law professor actually teaches that in his law class what his father did by freeing himself and getting him out of jail. He teaches that case in his law class. So, I um, mean, that's that's just a case of, of a nice little case of triumph over evil that's being done and perpetrated in our community. And by the way, during that time, you had a bunch of black pastors, and and this is why I see this thing happening again. If you don't understand history, you will repeat it. You had a bunch of, during that time, you had a bunch of pastors and, and uh, clergy go to D.C. and demand from Bill Clinton a, a, the omnibus, omnibus crime bill, okay? And uh, what they couldn't foresee is that the misuse of that, that bill. They, they asked for training and jobs, and they asked for prisons and police. They didn't get the training and jobs, but they got the prisons and the police. Okay, got that part. You ask for prisons and police, you don't get it. If you don't ask for training and jobs, which will is front-end stuff, you don't get the back end stuff, you know, if you don't demand it, because you're not gonna get it unless you demand it. And so, what happens? You had a you had a bunch of people take advantage of that. You had racist police; they didn't understand. You got racist police that actually were locking up people. You had more people arrested for simple marijuana possession, not dealing, simple possession, than all the violent crimes combined. And they came down there to get the violent crimes taken care of, but the, because they don't understand the application and the enforcement of the, of the law and how it can be discriminatory towards certain communities. In other words, 95% of the people prosecuted for marijuana, 
in, in some cases, were black people and, 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 and people of color. And, and white people used it in the same, at the same rate as black people. This is why people like Marilyn Mosby that understand this stuff fight against it. It's not so much they like marijuana. I don't like marijuana. But I don't like black people being treated unfairly. If you're not going to treat everybody the same, don't enforce that law. Okay, so, you know, you can't you can't have injustice for one people. You know, law just affect one people and not the other. That's that's nonsense. Okay, uh, let's let's bring on Mark. Um, Mark. Hey, how you doing, man? How you doing, Mark? Hey, good, man. Glad to hear you back on. Look, I want to make sure because, you know, you got a lot of people supporting you with the housing thing. So I'm glad you played the hearing last week. I'm glad you did that because it was a couple uh, weeks ago, uh, Mark. I was in I was in Disney World last week uh, <laughs> with the kids. Uh, yeah. yeah, with a bunch of kids. Go ahead, but that's fine. I yeah, know what you're but, saying. But I, I'm I'm glad it played because they they gave a lot of people that wasn't there. I was there, you know. Some insight it was packed. Going on, absolutely. Um, was it was seven hundred? Was it seven hundred million that they had for the ten houses? Yeah. What you could do, and anybody listening, what you can do is Google. Um, uh, Governor Hogan gives $700 million to Baltimore City to tear down houses. And if you go to our website, we were explaining how you can do almost 7,000 houses and create generational wealth. You can train young men in the trades and uh, use that money as an economic engine. That's our salvation. you got a gold mine and you're trying to destroy it. After you use all these predatory, predatory lending techniques that we were victims of, now you're going you're to destroy these houses in a city with a documented lack of affordable housing. And give the land away to to people that already have money. I mean, that's incredibly criminal, almost. I mean, come yeah. on. Monica Clark, she wanted to do it right then. So where are we at, though? Where are we at with that, with you actually doing that? Right now, I can't do that. We want to do that. We have 37 contracts that want to do that. What's holding you now, up? Well, we need the mayor's uh, approval. The mayor runs everything. I mean, take, well, we got on paper. Mayor, right? Yeah, we got to grant the mayor, and, and we, we need to have a meeting with the mayor. And we have a plan. Let me finish. Let me finish. We have a plan. Now, the last time I spoke to the mayor, she asked if we didn't have a plan. I'm like, we have a plan. We have a request for a proposal. It was done by a professional uh, um, uh, project manager. Okay, we have professional people in our organization who can write documents. We have an SOP of how this thing's supposed to work. It's all been figured out. The only thing we need is the loan supplied by the state or by the city because the banks are going to do this. They're not going to give out 1% interest loans and you know because... What people don't understand is after all that predatory lending that went went uh, that took place where blacks were targeted with these high-priced loans, the highest in the universe, they, after being victims of that, well, they're not lending to blacks with the same credit rating as whites. That had nothing to do with that, okay? And it's been proven. It's been shown. And um, it's been documented. So we still haven't recovered. And not only have we been preyed upon, we've been punished for being preyed upon. So we're not getting loans like So it has to be structured in such a way that working class people can take advantage of this program of wealth building. In other words, if you can, if you demonstrate it, like I'm a veteran, right? So the last time I got a home loan, all I had to do was show that I paid my mortgage on time for a year. That's it. And they they right. gave me the loan because they cut my, my, my mortgage in half. They know they know darn well, this is common sense. They know darn well that if they cut my mortgage in half, and this is why this program works. They know darn well if they cut my mortgage in half, I'm not just, and I've been paying my mortgage on time for a whole year, I'm not going to just all of a sudden start, you know, defaulting. That's idiotic, you know. People default because they get in over their heads, not because you lower their mortgage. That program actually keeps people in them in their houses. And the only thing they ask me for is um, proof that I paid my mortgage, which is very easy to get, for a year on time. They didn't, ask me, they didn't care if I work, but they know just from the facts and from experience that if that's the case, then, you know, I'm not going to just um, start default. So I would say that if we can use that same technique, the only difference between me and, a, and, a, and another working class person is I'm a veteran. If we use that same technique, if you can say, well, you paid your rent on time for a year or two, you should qualify for the loan. Without a whole lot of hoopla because what, if you're paying $900 a month or $1,200 a month to live in the hood for rent, and somebody offer you a house for $300 a month mortgage, you're going to just default on, your, on, your, on the mortgage? I mean, come on, that's stupid. You know, so we don't want people to jump through a whole lot of hoops. Yeah, we're going to have classes and all that. But we don't want people to jump through a whole lot of hoops to get these loans because what will happen is the only people that will be able to get them are people with affluent people with gold-plated credit. And we don't want the program to devolve into that. And, and it'll be a gentrification you know, on steroids. And you and you, didn't even, you don't need the whole $700 million. And 
So what? My question is, Tyrone. Well, we, they've been dragging this. Well, feet. here's here's what the deal, Mark. Let me finish. Yeah. Kathy, I mean uh, Mayor Peel, gave us a pilot before she uh, left. Before she left office, I don't know if that had anything to do with it, but she gave us a pilot. And since uh, then, I haven't heard. You know, it seemed to fall off the books. Nobody seemed to know anything about. You know what I'm saying? So my thing is, we need to meet with the mayor. But what what we will, what we do need to do, is start organizing people to vote because we do have the advantage as far as uh, voters in the city. We just start, yes, start leveraging that power. You know, and then we can get some things done. Tyrone in support of you, though. Can we do that? Yeah, you can call the mayor's office. I mean, if you really support what we're doing, and go to our website. Our website is www.baltimore4homes.com. And look at what we're trying to do, okay? www.baltimore4homes.com. Look at what we're trying to do. And if you support that, by all means, call the mayor's office. And uh, yeah. Only if you support it. 3900. That's the mayor's office. What was that again, Mark? 410 4900. And we need to start holding these politicians accountable. We need to start holding these politicians accountable because there's no reason why a man, one man, a billionaire, can come to this town and get $650 million without begging for it. And that's not counting the money he got from the state and the federal government because it came with like $1.3 billion by the time you add all that in. But $600 million from the city of Baltimore, and nobody even questioned it. And you have a thousand people on a petition, ask for, the, ask for um, loans less than that, you know, less than that cost. They're going to pay you back. They're not asking you to give them something. They ask you for a loan to buy a house. And you're going to say no. Or you're not even going to think about it. You're not even going to consider it. They're not worth that. Those thousand citizens aren't worth that one billionaire. I mean, give me a break. You know, what What sense does that make? All right, let's go to. I was in the room, Tyrone. I was in the room with him when he personally told you to your face he wanted to meet with you. Well, we'll we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. I'm going to get a man a chance. I'm not going to talk bad about anybody. He may, maybe he's getting the things together. I don't know. I'm going to leave it alone. I give everybody a chance. I will give everybody a fair chance before I, you know, say anything bad. All right. That was months ago, bro. (laughs) That that was months ago, but... They still turn down houses, too, at light speed. They turn down houses as fast as they can get them. I'm going to call his office now. I hope everybody else follows suit. All right. Let's let's go to Gene. All right. Thank you, Mark, for calling in. Gene. Hey, good morning, Tyrone. How you doing, sir? Yeah, pretty good, pretty good. I just wanted to just briefly just mention that the difference between black uh, nationalism and white nationalism is black power. But, you know, you mentioned Negro, and what Negro, so what we really have is Negro power. And so, you know, you're talking about gentrification. And so gentrification is uh, a very negative, as you explained. Uh, and I think that if you would explain... You know, maybe just dwell on gentrification, uh, we, we would understand better. When I say well, Negro power, I just want to say about Negro power. Negro power is not, in, in being a Negro is not a bad thing because uh, the NAACP and the, uh, like the Afro all came out of the uh, Niagara movement. Absolutely. And, with and, WD, and with and w, so, with so Negro boy, was, yeah. the, was the movement that we were in. Yes. And I, and I think it's less threatening, but we don't want to say Negro power because we're not trying to have black power. And I apologize for cutting you off. Well, we, we're not dealing with any type, and it's not necessary. To, I'm not trying to push any hatred, but, uh, um, and it's not necessary because it speaks, the stuff, the injustices speak for themselves. You know, so, and, and as, Mal, as Malcolm said, Malcolm stated this when he was questioning whether he hated people. He said, uh, I don't hate anybody. He said the, um, the way he put it was, and they call it white fragility now, but he said the guilt complex of the American white man is such that when his accusers, point out, somebody point out an injustice, they accuse them of preaching hate. But I don't hate anybody. I'm just merely pointing out the injustices. He said, instead of straightening out the conditions under which you're pointing out, they accuse you of preaching hate. Right. So, and, so, it, it, and it's their guilt complex. I mean, really, they have a guilt complex, right. not us. And right. I think if we understand that, is that they feel guilty and they react to, uh, you know, the terms that they because in the sixties they they said the same thing, but they said we were reverse racist because we we wanted to achieve black power, economic power, and uh, independence, you know, from from the system. We didn't want to integrate within a burning house. I think that's what Dr. King said. So you know, again, but you you're on a positive note, and I just want to express that in reference to right because there's a lot of white folks that are helping us. You know, I went to a a meeting with a bunch of ministers, and and um, like five of them were white ministers. You know, so there are good white people that realize, like like I said before, that yeah. that we are the canary in the mine, and when the canary dies, it's time to come out of that mine. Yeah, and you know? Mal- Mal- and Malcolm and uh, H. Rep. Brown and Stokely Carmichael, they talked about 
uh, the good white people. Yes, going, absolutely, absolutely. Go, That's correct. Going, in, going back to their community and explaining to the racist and white supremacists what needed to be done to make the change, you know, okay. in, their, in their community. We because can't justice is justice regardless of color and income. Yes. All right, let's go to Leroy. Thank you, Gene. Call back next week. And I'm going to be bringing on uh, Brother Duggar in a minute. When he's going to be talking about the uh, Marcus Garvey Festival that's coming up. And uh, I hope everybody will come and participate, support this thing. And then I got uh, Brother Fit. He's going to be calling in about um, about um, how they want to do the, the black and green flag, the red, black and green flag. So, um, uh, Leroy. Good morning, brother. How are you doing? How are you doing, sir? All right. It sounds like you really have things together, man. As far as your information, it really sounds very sound and well thought it's out. Well re- it's well researched as well. I don't play. Yeah, have, yeah. Have you, have you connected with like the black realtors of Maryland or Baltimore? Have you done anything with them? My 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 thought process on this is I'm not out here trying to make money, and the people in our group aren't. You know, if the contractors make money, and they will, you know, if they they're in business to make money, and uh, we need the contracts as part of this. So. What we want is a pool of contracts, minority contractors, and we have them already. Uh, we have 37 uh, on our list so far, and anybody wants to join can join, um, that want to help train these young men in the trades because we're going to need plumbers, we're going to need electricians, and we're going to need carpenters. Put these houses together. Let me ask you this. And we can get these Do people off this, let me finish, slinging drugs okay. on this corner, you know, under desperate circumstances to make a living wage. You know, you you make a lot of, you know, I'm, I run a plumbing, heating, cooling business, so I know it's a lucrative way to, to make a, a living. And we have master electricians and everything, anything else, and master uh, carpenters and master plumbers and master HVAC C techs that can train young men in the trades when we put these houses together. So this, that, those houses they're trying to tear down right now is a gold mine. But go on, brother. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. That's cool. You, you got a lot of information. Um, do you know anybody personally that personally knows Jack has a relationship with Jack, with the mayor that you can <laughs> that you can that you can connect with them? And sometimes you might have to go, uh, you know, off the air with that kind of stuff. You know what I'm saying? Do it right, privately. Right, right, right. We're working. Because they don't, they don't like being called yeah. out. Well, we're not gonna, like yeah, that. I'm not trying to call anybody out. What we're, what we're doing is the man did uh, promise a meeting with us, and we're just waiting for that meeting. We have all, all the information that they need. Um, basically, all we need is the loans and the houses, and the mayor is the only person that can release the houses once the houses have been dem- the, uh, condemned. So it's not like we can just say, if I had a billion dollars in my pocket right now, I can't get those houses back. You know what I'm saying? So so we do need the mayor. You know, you can't. I hear people say, well, black people need to get together and just throw their money together and buy all these houses up. That's not going to happen, man. I don't care how much money you got. It don't go like that. that. The powers that be in the city have to release those houses for exactly what we want them for. And then I got one happen. more. So, go ahead. Sorry. I have just one more statement for you. It sounds really solid what you're saying, brother. And I, I believe you are who you say you are. But there's one thing that concerns me deeply, is that as a father, as an uncle, as a grown man, I'm really bothered by the amount of young men and even grown men that aren't ready to work, brother. They don't have good work habits. Well, let's do, not let's do this. Let's do this. Let me say one. Let me say one thing first. Let right before we let me, let me say this before you say that. Okay. Let's give them an opportunity. Let's give them an opportunity instead of just saying, "Oh, they don't want to work." And I've heard, I heard, I've heard pastors say that when they were talking about summer jobs, they don't want to work. You had forty six hundred thousand. I mean, forty six hundred kids go out for summer jobs last year, got turned away because we don't want to give them that. We're saying stuff like, "Oh, they don't want to work." We're assuming. They don't want to work. And if once we get them on a job, if we can't train them up and mentor them, our whole name is Holmes. My organization's name is Holmes. Homeownership, Opportunity, and Ministry for Economic Success. It's a ministership part of that. We got to learn how to minister these, uh, mentor these young kids. They can be reached. I've seen people turn their lives around. I've seen it. But the only time I've seen that happen is when they've been offered an alternative. When you take something from somebody, you tell them, stop selling drugs. What are you going to give them to replace it? What are you going to give them to replace it? That's going to be the next question. If they make their living selling drugs, okay, you want them to stop. And that's the real violence ender right there. There's a correlation between the drugs and the guns. If you want them to stop, what are you going to give them to replace that income they've been getting? Everybody has bills even if they got a cell phone, okay? So let's just stop. Let's do a little uh, study before, an analyzation before we just write these kids off. I don't, I don't like hearing well, that type of stuff. Go ahead, I'm sorry. I never said they didn't want to work. What I said, I'm not saying they didn't want to work. What I'm saying is 
there's young people, there's people that are not prepared to work. Right. Harder. And then that's what what we're, we're trying to tout is apprenticeships, which will train you to work. I wasn't prepared to work when I went when I started my apprenticeship. I went, I did a five year apprenticeship. And uh, the things that they checked us on is attendance and things like that. Some of the things that a summer job would prepare you for, okay, as a kid. I had summer jobs when I was a young man every year under a white man, Mayor uh, Schaefer. Every year I had a summer job, and they didn't last five weeks like the summer jobs last now. They lasted 10 weeks, okay? I have a, I have a good buddy of mine that has a landscaping business for years. And he's been doing it for a, whole, for a lot of years. And he, he always complains. He goes to so many homes where the mothers and grandmothers are paying the bill. And there's young men all the way up to grown men in their 40s who won't even cut the grass, brother. They're right, right. But let's, let's, yeah, there's a lot of lazy people. I, I agree. But let's, <laughs> that doesn't mean we don't give opportunities for jobs. Okay, so we're gonna, what we're going to do is we're going to move on. Thank you, Leroy. Could you call in next week? All right, take care, brother. Yeah. All right. All right. We're going to move along. And then we got Brother Duggar here. I want to disrespect him. And uh, he's going to be working with this um, this uh, project about uh, Marcus Garvey. And Marcus Garvey had one of the biggest uh, movements in African-American history. He had a lot of people that actually he inspired, like Dr. King, like Malcolm X, like Elijah Muhammad. And when he was in his heyday, he had 11 million uh, members in 40 countries, okay? And there was 3 million black people that wanted to go back to Africa, you know, while other people were trying to come here, immigrants. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he was a very effective speaker, very furious speaker. And I might let y'all listen to some of his stuff, uh, but we're going to let Brother Duggar tell us about Marcus Garvey, um, the the parade. Go ahead, Brother. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you, Brother Tyrone. Yes, this coming Saturday, we're doing our 49th annual Marcus Garvey Day celebration, and we're going to be in Harlem Park. And uh, as usual, sir, we are forming our parade first because we have a parade. Then we have a celebration. And this year we also have a red human flag of red, black and green being created. But we form our parade at 10 o'clock at the Wall of Pride, which is located at 1600 Block of Curry at Cumberland Street. We form our parade at 10 and we march at 11. We're trying to recruit as many brothers and sisters in the city as possible. Join us as we walk for pride, respect, dignity, for love, truth, peace, freedom, and justice. Not abstract terms, but the things that mean the most to all human beings. You could come dressed in your African cultural best. You could come dressed as one of your favorite person in black history. Or come with a meaningful uh, sign to carry down the avenue. You know, I would hope we can have a sign come to Park, Harlem Park to register to vote. Saying that to say if there's someone out in the listening audience, Brother Tyrone, that can come in Harlem Park. I've already reached out to Brother Cheatham. I hope he'll get back to me. Right. But I'm trying to get to the NACP as, as well so that we can have people registering people to vote in right. the park. Not just and, vote, but vote effectively. Oh, yes, sir. People that have our interests at heart, not just the business community. Yes, sir. Because, uh, um, like I said, we're 62% black. We're 29% white, but the whites control the city. Yes, through sir. the business community. Yes, sir. and I'm not I'm not mad at them, but it's not it's right. It's telling us to wake up more yeah, and more. Exactly. Yes, sir. Yeah, I, don't, I don't blame them actually. You yes, sir. So when we we come up to the parade, it's a circuitous route. So hope people will come and Martin. They'll be in better health when they finish. It might be a little tired, but it'll be great. When we get to Edmondson and Calhoun, we get off the parade route and enter into the football field. They have. The uh, Harlem Park School Complex, they had three or four schools still in that one building, and we're there to create the human flag. Now, this is under the red, black, and green family of brothers and sisters, and I think uh, under the leadership, not I think, but under the leadership of Brother Mosai Fitz. I want to say at this time that there's, in some literature, it might seem that I am a part of, of money being given to that activity. I'm not a part of that. They do have their own Neither program. <laughs> I'm they not making their, any money from this. Right. They Neither have is, their own Neither program. Brother Duggar. Yeah. Yes, sir. They have their own program creating the Let's red, black, clear. and green flag that we're doing in the spirit of Ujima, working together and being responsible with Ujima sharing. But at the same time, we're going, after we leave the flag, we're going up on the hill. And we're up on the hill for our uh, 49th annual Marcus Garvey Day s- celebration, which will include a Harambe trio, William Garvigan on drums and Jackie Blake on saxophone and uh, oh, wow. Derek Amin on piano. I'm we have a good time to see We'll have Sister B.B. Yeah. Fatima. Hopefully, hopefully, Brother Judah, I heard he might consider coming with his group or can uh, help us with the group. Brother Harry Warsaw is coordinating some gospel groups for us. So we hope to have a celebrative time and want to encourage brothers and sisters to come and participate. You know, uh, Brother Garvey came from Jamaica, mm-hmm. you know, and if you play some of his music, we find out that he had a thick accent. So everybody didn't understand 
And so some people use that against him. But those of us who wanted to do better after all this lynching and so forth right. and the disrespect that was going on, we tuned our ear, listened to the rhythm of his speech pattern and uh, understood that he, his group actually was the largest and still is the largest mass movement of black yeah. people in the world, the Universal Negro Improvement Association, absolutely, absolutely. the UNIA. And he knew that we weren't all, but if we could get focused, one God, one aim, right. one destiny, and that we would say up. You might erase. Now I get right. down. So sometimes. It's about unity. Yes, sir. Unity. And sometimes, Brother Tyrone, when we've had our parade, we used to have to stop some of the bands because they marched like Sodom and Gomorrah going right. through the street. And we had to tell them, no, they couldn't be in our Garvey parade because Garvey said, up, you mighty race. Not right. get down in the gutter and act crazy like the brother was alluding well, to our laziness, you know. Brother be, Duggar. Yes, sir. Let's take a minute to listen to uh, um, Marcus Garvey speak. Beautiful. Uh, Jason. Let's talk. Let's let's uh, hear Marcus Garvey speak, and uh, we have um, some information to share with you on beautiful on what Marcus Garvey had to say for Marcus Garvey <laughs> back, you know, during those times. The speech. Look the world over, and whatever you see in it that is pleasing to man, contributing to man's comfort, to his needs, and to his satisfaction, it is but the work of man. Man blessed with the knowledge of himself and the understanding of all things around him. If you are able to live with the knowledge of yourself and with the greater knowledge of nature, you must know what is good and what is not. You must know what is finite. You must know that which is material, physical and otherwise is at your disposal to create or otherwise use. If we leave America and go over to the east to Japan, they will be telling their fellow citizens of Japan of the wonderful accomplishments of the Japanese people, proving that man is moving onward as time moves on. But you, you have hated yourselves as you have done in previous years. You have shown malice, prejudice, and hate to each other. And the result is that while other races have made progress, while India has made progress towards nationalism, while Ireland has made progress towards republicanism, while the whole world has made progress in man's accomplishments, you still stand fighting yourselves, dishonoring yourselves, showing no disposition toward that higher life so Sounds that you like will be day, abundantly blessed. <laughs> so reflect and think Very that much. you were created for some purpose other than exhibiting malice toward your neighbor or fellow men of your own race. What mm -hmm. a pity it is that we cannot so stand united without the written law. There is no written law compelling other races to stand together. They are brought together by the gentle touch of nature. The unwritten law of nature causes them to stand together on all occasions. So wheresoever you find them in the field, that one gentle touch of nature causes them to stand together, if need be, die together. But with a black man, you can preach to him from the pulpits. You lecture from the platforms, from the byways and the hedges. The spirit of cooperation, but he will not cooperate. You talk to him gently, you try talking harshly to him, he still will not cooperate. The result is that he falls prey to those who understand themselves and walk through the world making you their source and slaves. Yeah, that was all about unity. And oh, Marcus Garvey was, was actually was uh, put out of this country um, yes. with the cooperation of J. Edgar Hoover, yes. who used people like uh, um, Du Bois, W.E.B. Du Bois, to, to help throw about. He had a movement called Marcus Garvey Must Go movement. <laughs> okay, because you had these property, the, the bougie. I don't want to use that term, but I'm going to use it anyway. The bougie Negroes, so y'all know what I'm talking about instantly, that actually didn't like Garvey, and they wanted him out of here. But Although he had millions of followers. At a time, we didn't have many black people in the country, but he had three million followers. Mm -hmm. We had a lot less black people then than, than we have now, but he had three million followers in the United States, 11 million worldwide in 40 countries. So he was a very uh, furious speaker, and he was talking at a time, as the brother indicated, when they had lynchings. We would have mm -hmm. spectacle lynchings where people would buy tickets to the lynchings. Oh, yes, sir. The last spectacle lynching, as a matter of fact, was in the 1934, uh, the spectacle lynching of Claude Neal. They actually stripped him naked. They branded him. They, um, and they, they just, just took place in Florida. They mm -hmm. cut off his genitalia and made him eat it. You know, the parts of his, you know, the, the two parts of his anatomy, they made him eat it. And then they took, cause, and I hate to use this language on, on the radio, but truth this is what is the truth. I'm sorry. Yes. If you can't take it. They, they made him eat his fingers and, and they threw souvenirs out to the crowd and mm -hmm. all this other stuff. And, mm -hmm. then, and then they lynched him. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that was very barbaric. And Jay Yeager Hoover said, you know, when they took it to him, because the NAACP tried to use the fact that they had a law that was created that you can't take people across state lines. He was taken from Alabama and Florida mm -hmm. after Lynchburg, after Lynchburg kidnapping. And Jay Hoover was like, oh, no crime committed here because there was no ransom. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you mm -hmm. can see the duplicity of Jay Yeager Hoover even back then at that early time. And he stayed director of the NAACP for a long time. Um, I want to do one more. Um, mm -hmm. It's the interview. With, uh, and bear in mind, this is a time when people were lynched almost every day in the South. The interview with Marcus Garvey. 
For a foreigner, why are you making all these waves? Even George Harris, editor of the New York News, a colored newspaper published in Harlem, referred to you as an alien. An alien is one who enters a country on his own account without any invitation and who domiciles himself in that portion of the country because of his own desire. Isn't that exactly what you do? Fathers, but against my will, by stubborn protest, somebody seized me and brought me here for my silent repose in Africa 300 years ago. When they get rid of you, then what? This is only the first Marcus Garvey. There will be other cops in the fold. You met with Edward Young Clark, the acting imperial wizard of the Ku Klux Klan? Yes. What was that meeting like? It was rather cordial. He made it clear that they are interpreting the true spirit of every true American. What is the attitude of the Klan towards a Negro who desires to be, say, President of the United States? That he shall never be as long as there is one white man living in this country. But isn't America a white man's country? Yes, it is a white man's country because he conquered the Indian, exterminated him, and took possession of his property. I'd say the KKK is the invisible government of the United States. What do you mean? Uh, the Klan represents the spiritual feeling and even the physical attitude of every white man in this land. Do you realize that such statements could get you lynched? Uh, we have five million substantial oak trees between Africa and the West Indies. We are ready for lynching party tonight if they wanted to. Let Recently, there have been several rapings of black women by whites. Was that discussed? Yes, it was. He claims that they are as much against that as any self-respecting Negro should be. But I know better. In my opinion, they are structured for the purpose of offending, suppressing, and killing Negroes. Okay. Okay. So that was uh, Marcus Garvey uh, being interviewed. Some of the statements he made. And you can see how full of fire he was. And he was a take-no-mess guy. Mm -hmm. You know, Marcus Garvey, by the way, was 5'5". Five, five, okay. But he took no mess off nobody. And um, and a lot of our leaders were <laughs> tall. You know, Dr. King was 5'7". Mm -hmm. But they, they were they thought like giants, you mm -hmm. know, just to be in their presence. You know, it was incredible. It's incredible, incredible, you know, because mm -hmm. they were so far ahead of their time that he couldn't be understood. And by the way, everybody didn't agree with Dr. King when he's around. He was thrown out of the Southern Baptist Conference, by the way. A lot of people that will say they marched with Dr. King won't tell you that, mm -hmm. you know. But I'm sorry, Brother Duggar. Now, I was just going to you know, tie what you were saying, good friend, is that, <clears throat> you know, we used to bring Queen Mother Moore here I would go up to New York and bring, she's one of Marcus Garvey's original followers, and we made a recording. I'll try to f find it and give it to you. One side, she says, My country, tis of thee, sweet land of infamy, of thee I sing. Land where my fathers were hanging from trees for refusing to bend their knees. And then she goes on. The other side, she says, Like Sandra Bland, right? No, don't. Like Sandra. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And then the other side was dialogue. She has said, we as black people are suffering from a constipation of the brains and that we need brain surgery. And I think that's the kind of thing that Garvey was talking about, that we could speak to our people and have been speaking to our people. You know, in the Holy Quran, I think it's where we find it, sir, is a quote that says to the effect, the messenger is not responsible for anything but the delivery of the message. Absolutely. And we as black people cannot say that God has not blessed us with messengers Absolutely. all through time. Now, do we want to wake up? Here we are. You want us to have better home ownership, brother Tyrone. So we're in a city where black people actually voted for rent control years ago and got it and then let a judge, Kaplan, kill that. So I'm saying even in 2019, why don't we revisit that? What happened then? Because after rent control was killed, after we voted it in, then rents were out of control. And of course, we know with mortgages. So this whole thing of gentrification, if 62% black Baltimore decides, no, we're not going for this. Like God we said, up you might. That's right. right. We, we, we can. We can begin to boycott. In the yep. same time, just we got like. black police officers. We have black department heads. Yes, sir. If, we, if black people want to be treated fairly, they could be treated That's fairly. That's right. This, they just got to stop being cowards. Yes, sir. Just like even, let's say, like the football season getting ready to start. Suppose all the black football players not just take a knee, but don't play. Don't play on opening day if they don't get a gun law really put into effect. You follow me? If right. they don't renew the three billion they took out of the food stamps, you follow me? And if it, if Trump is not recalled, so okay. I mean whatever, because you know the whites gonna go crazy if they can't tailgate and be looking at a well. football game. So I'm just saying that's that's a reality. So if we would begin to well, say that, you know, we are not when they when Trump called. Oh yes, sir. I know you're full of them and well, Marcus Garvey. They said you're the same team. All of them. passionate about that. I can see the fire. God has said, look eyes. for me in the world. Yes. <laughs> so he's a um, he's a he's the uh, spiritual grandson of uh, Marcus Garvey. I can tell. So be sure to come down to the Marcus Garvey celebration. We're gonna need to come up with a plan to get people registered to vote yes. effectively, yes, not sir. just voting. We need to stop voting for these fools. 
that are fronting for white supremacy in Baltimore. This is uh, another end to another exciting edition of the Call Tyrone Show. Be, be sure to tune in next week to AM 1010 at 10 o'clock for the Call Tyrone Show. And thank you for your time. WOLB Baltimore and WERQ-FM HD3 Baltimore. Brought to you by Live Casino and Hotel.